That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I'm like, I'm happy. I was sad. Now, <laughs> wow. I got, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I don't know what else to say. It's unbelievable. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Special teams play is Taysom Hill. A third string quarterback came in and blocked it right off the foot of Ryan Swick. End zone. Passes caught for the touchdown. Camara. Lutz drilled it. And the Saints are back on top. Turn the ball over. Uh, we had a punt blocked. Took a sack in field goal range and we missed a field goal, um, you know, which, you know, if we'd, if we'd have done some, some things better, uh, I think the score wouldn't, wouldn't have been this close and we wouldn't have had to throw that, uh, that last pass, but uh, everything works out in the end. in the gun from his 39. Four-man front, six in the secondary. 24-23 Saints. Vikings at their own 39. It's third down. Three receivers right, feel and left. Marshawn Lattimore, 12 yards from Adam. Adam steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! He'll fire to the right side. Caught by Diggs. Stay oh, my God. oh my God! Oh my God! goodness! It's going to go in for the touchdown. Grab by Diggs. Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Network, our 352nd episode, and it's by far the most excited I've ever been to come in the studio, to scrape off my car in the morning and shovel my sidewalk and drive over here and record this show. This is the reason why we do what we do. Vikings win 29-24 on the Minneapolis Miracle. Case Keenum to Stefan Diggs. 61 yards, Sage Rosenfels, the co-host, at Sage Rosenfels18 on Twitter. Sage, there was a lot of protocol being broken yesterday in the press box, a, a box that is usually full of stoic, curmudgeonly men. And when the play happened, it was like everybody's impartiality went out the window. Everybody put their fan hat on for that moment. Everybody stood Everybody reacted. There was hugging. There was crying in the press box. It was unbelievable. 
I made eye contact with you at the moment. I don't know if you saw me, but you were your head was going through the ceiling. It was amazing. I was, uh, yeah, it was like a mix of shock and celebration. I mean, I think even the writers who were there, and I was standing next to Peter King, and it's like you're in shock. Like, did that just happen? And then the game's actually over? And I felt like even the impartial writers who are just covering the game, they were celebrating because they knew they had just seen really a a once-in-a-lifetime game and a a once-in-a-lifetime play. It was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, one of the mo- the most amazing game that I've ever witnessed. Uh, you know, I was at that Bounty Gate game. You know, eight years ago, uh, and there's so much going into the game for me personally uh, with the Saints and, and and thinking about the sort of the rematch uh, with the Vikings. Now we had them at home, uh, and then you know for the Vikings to get the 17-0 lead, uh, and then in sort of classic. Uh, Vikings fashion, give up that lead and you think the game's over and then to win it with this miracle throw and catch from Case uh, to Stephon Diggs, the missed tackle, the run for the end zone, the walk-off touchdown for a Vikings victory in the playoffs. Absolutely unbelievable. And this is why it's the best play in Vikings history because what have Minnesota fans grown accustomed to? They've grown accustomed to having their hopes at the highest possible level, like whether it's 98, Gary Anderson missing the kick, whether it's 2009, Favre throwing across his body, whether it's Blair Walsh attempting a chip shot field goal, everybody experienced the high and then the devastation, whereas this game was the exact opposite. The emotional script got flipped with the high followed by just a low of lows, a 17-point blown lead, which the Vikings haven't done, I think, They haven't blown a double-digit lead since 2014. They gave up the most points they had at home all year. Um, You give up a fourth and 10 to Drew Brees, who was cold-blooded in the final quarter and a half, just Hall of Fame caliber. So to have that low and to get be prepared for like a snowy drive home in the frigid weather just to mourn, then that happens. The perfect catharsis for years of Vikings heartbreak and to do it against the Saints no less – and then to happen with no time on the clock, players streaming on the field, and, and just the, the awe on their faces. They were all little children out there. That was so cool to see all the reactions. It felt like there was redemption against the Saints, but it really felt like there was redemption against the history of the Vikings franchise. It was like all those bad things that happened in the past for decades somehow came back and on one special play Everything went right, and, uh, and and nobody was surprised in that football game that Drew Brees came back. I mean, the guy, just incredible. By the way, happy birthday to Drew Brees. I mean, what a crappy birthday yeah. today. He turns 39. The guy played uh, like the Hall of Famer that he is. I mean, he might be able to play for another eight or ten years. Absolutely incredible performance by him uh, in his offense. Uh, he battled and battled and found completions and, and found first downs and found touchdowns and took advantage of every uh, Vikings miscue, brought his team back, uh, took the lead. Case comes back down, takes the lead. To no one's surprise, with a minute and a half left, Breeze goes right down uh, and, and, and scores a touchdown uh, or, or kicks the, the, the field goal to, to, to take the lead. Uh, and then obviously with 25 seconds left, 
the Vikings had a couple plays to try to get really, I don't even think in field goal range. I think really they were just trying to get in Hail Mary range. I mean, you're sort of, you know, you're sort of screwed at that point. I mean, how are we going to get the ball down to the 40-yard line of the other team? That, you know, there's not enough time to throw a pass uh, in the middle of the field uh, to come up and spike the ball. We're going to have to throw the ball to the sidelines. You know they're going to take away all the deep throws, so we'll probably have to throw it in the flat to Kyle Rudolph for a seven-yard gain, maybe for an eight-yard gain. Maybe we can get the ball out to, to, to midfield uh, and have one last chance at a Hail Mary. Uh, but, but that's not what happened. Uh, Case uh, pushed the ball down the field. They let Diggs get open, uh, but he should have been tackled, obviously, uh, but he wasn't. And as I said, everything uh, that had gone wrong, it seemed like, uh, in that football game for the Vikings, all of a sudden flipped and went right. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. It was an amazing adjustment by Diggs to, in a split second, in, in a fraction of a second, to switch his mentality from, I need to get out of bounds to, I'm going to score. Because he could have easily just sidestepped out of bounds, um, not having really considered that he could score the touchdown, and then the Vikings would have had about a 52-yard field goal. But for him to make that adjustment, and obviously the GOAT in this situation is Marcus Williams, the rookie safety this is going to become his legacy for the indefinite future, unfortunately, because he lowered his head. He ducked under the leaping digs, maybe trying to, to avoid pass interference, I guess, is the kind of the common logic on what he was thinking there. But worst case scenario there, if you're Williams, you push him out and they try a long field goal. But in no circumstance can you let him get behind you. And that's what happened. The coverage from New Orleans, I felt like it was sound except for the play by Williams. Yeah, if you go back, uh, the Vikings had a bunch concept. And, and, and if you read around the Internet today, uh, that play was called Buffalo Wright 7 Heaven. Yep. Uh, that's the name of that play. And you don't really practice it very often. Um, this is one of those things that you walk through a lot. You'll practice it a little bit here and there during training camp. Um, you might have a drill. You know, it's the, you have these sort of end of half, end of game you know, type players that really aren't regular types of plays. And that really is a, what they call a three-level flood play. You have your high corner. You're not your regular corner route, which is usually caught about 20 yards on the sideline. You have a high corner route, uh, which is about a 40-yard throw, which was Stefan Diggs. That usually sort of takes off the top, gets double covered, and hopefully opens up the next corner route, uh, which was Jarius right on that play. And then if the, the corner sinks back to take away that sort of shorter corner, then you have Kyle Rudolph in the flat. So a really a three-level flooded throw to the right. They took away Kyle Rudolph to the flat uh, with, with the regular cornerback playing sort of a cover two corner. I mean, when, before they even came out, they had three guys basically lined up along the sidelines and, and really in, and on, on both sidelines. Uh, and then they had really just I mean, basically a middle linebacker in the middle of the field, like, please throw the ball in the middle of the field. We'll tackle you. Game's over. And uh, Kyle Rudolph, uh, who was in the flat for about an eight-yard uh, completion, uh, there was a corner waiting for him there. So uh, you couldn't throw it to the flat to, to uh, just try to get us at in, in Hail Mary range, right? Uh, the, the next cornerback was about 15 to 20 yards deep, uh, and he took away Jarius right in the short corner. Uh, uh, and then Stefan Diggs, the high corner, uh, at the 40-yard throw, 
the safety, Williams, was the only player there. And he has to make that tackle. And uh, I don't think he's going to have an explanation of, of, you know, I was trying to not pass interfere. I was trying this. I was trying that. Plays happen sometimes so fast. You, you can't think. You just react. And whatever, however he reacted, he screwed up and he made a mistake. If you go back and watch that replay, the way Diggs is running, and then he sort of stops and jumps. And I think that's what happened. When he sort of stopped and jumped, Williams went for his legs and jumped where as if he sort of kept running or he sort of he sort of threw uh, where if Diggs sort of kept running. And if Diggs would have kept running, he would have hit him you know, right in the middle of the back uh, and the game would have been over. But Diggs sort of stopped, went up vertical, great leaping ability uh, by Stefan Diggs, made that catch. And then I spoke to him after the game. I said, did you think about going out of bounds? And he said, just for a, a split second, I did. But then I saw Williams out of the corner of my eye run into uh, the other Saints defender, run into the cornerback who was covering Jarius Wright on that short corner. And once I saw that, uh, I just kept my balance uh, and ran for the end zone. So, man, <laughs> what an ending to an unbelievable game. I'm trying to just digest through kind of the reactions that I've seen from the field level. There was an interview with Diggs with Josina Anderson where he had to, to bow out because he was so emotional. There was Everson Griffin with Josina Anderson right after that, and he was basically blabbering for two minutes. He couldn't put words together. It was just a, a child on Christmas type interview. And the, the great part of it was is that during all of the pandemonium, they were still reviewing the play technically. Even though everybody knew it was going to stand, they were still reviewing it. And then when they announced it was confirmed, it was like a whole new celebration. And then everyone lingered because they had to kick that ex that academic extra point. And it was like the celebration just kept going and going with the reporters and the cameramen and the players on the field. Case Keenum is leading the skull chant. It was such an unorthodox ending to the game. And I've never seen anything like that where the game is still technically not over, but everybody, everyone is on the field, the media, TV people. That was just a totally unique situation that added to the moment. The fact that it was a walk-off added to the moment. The locker room afterward was just, you know, ballistic, delirious. It was, and you were there too, totally unique experience. Did you ever have, I'm sure you, I mean, how could you, but was there anything close to that in your career? No, I, I think I think the only thing that could could resemble that was the other end when I was, uh, you know, far as back up in, in 2009-10. Uh, and so what's interesting is everyone has their, and, and, and crazy moments like this, everyone has their own view of it. And I think that's what, what makes like Twitter, Instagram, and all these things so special now because you get to see everyone else's view. You know, so I'm up in the press box. I see the play, and at that point, I'm heading downstairs. So I missed, you know, this whole thing with Case Keenum uh, doing the chant and, and the players having to get back on the field. I talked to my son and, and last night, and he made a comment. It was so weird, you know, that the Saints had to come back on the field. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I, I had missed all of that, right? So <laughs> I'm heading down to the locker room. And rather than going to the Vikings locker room, I went to the Saints locker room. Uh, one, because I've known Breeze for 18 years, uh, wanted to talk to him. Uh, but, you know, I, I knew the winning locker room would be something else, would be well covered by all the national media. Uh, I sort of wanted to see that other locker room, uh, see Breeze, 
and, and, and sort of, you know, see that moment because uh, I knew that would be uh, very, very different. And, uh, and it was, and it was. And uh, that, that was, it's depressing being in that locker room. And then after I got a couple quotes from Drew, walked over to the Vikings locker room, and of course it was, you know, completely different. And uh, it's, that, that, that is sports, uh, the highs and the lows and everything in between. Uh, you know, one thing Drew said, he's been a part of uh, the, the great wins, uh, and now he's, you know, a part of one of the all-time, you know, terrible losses. And, you know, that's what wakes you up every morning as an athlete, as a coach, uh, to, to try to uh, be a part of those victories. And those losses are hard to take, but you know that's sort of part of the business. Uh, it's a part of the sport. It's what makes football so fun to be a part of. Yeah, and on a local level, this is the equivalent of the miracle on ice where if the Vikings win the Super Bowl, the run to the Super Bowl will be defined by this game. It's like no one really talks about the gold medal game that year. They all talk about the victory over the Soviets. And which, if, is in the, which is in the semifinals. Right. And if the Vikings win the, uh, win the Super Bowl, I think it's all going to come back to this game. And I don't know what, what's in store. Maybe Philadelphia next week has something even more wild. Maybe Patriots or Jaguars in the Super Bowl would be even more insane because it's at home especially. But for the moment, this is the defining moment of not only the season, but maybe of all the Vikings heartbreaks of the past, as we mentioned, which means a lot to so many people. And I think that's why there was so much emotion in that box yesterday on the field and in the stands and across the state. And the videos coming out are just priceless. And I've got some some Twitter reactions that I asked for, and I want to read a few of them here on the air and give people some people their moment and then uh, we'll talk a little bit, a little bit too, after this about some of the other things in the game. At Sue Kelso, I'm 58 years old. I've seen every horrible loss. Even with a 17-0 lead, I was nervous. I think we all were, Sue. I paced. I was sad. And then I was ecstatic. I cried tears of joy. I'm still stunned and still teary. And I feel like that's sort of indicative of what a lot of people were doing. Here's another one from Zach Bale. My head was down, looked at my wife, aunt, and uncle, shook my head and said, why? Then it went our way. The heartbreak I know so well turned into elation. I felt my father with me for the first time in a long time. It means the world. You know, and, and here's another one about people experiencing with, with their family. It means everything. I was at the game with my dad last night. It was one of the greatest Vikings memories I will have for the rest of my life. People were jumping into strangers' arms, crying in the aisles. That was from Tyler at IA Hawks Vikes fan. I talked to the Saints guy last week, Deuce Windham, and he talked about how people were like hugging on the streets of New Orleans after 2009. And this is the, really the, the mirror image of that. So, it is. Yeah. I, I was just going to say I had, I had a couple of buddies uh, who were living in Houston at the time. Yeah, I remember I was traded from Houston to the Vikings. And, and so I had a couple of buddies drive over for that championship game against the Saints, and that's like the first thing they said to me. They said, you know, we got up from our seats at the end of that game, and people were crying, you know, all over the place. It wasn't like, you know, one or two people here and there. Saints fans were crying all over the place, hugging, uh, didn't know what to do. Uh, people just sitting in their chairs, uh, in their seats with, you know, sort of this shocked, uh, befuddled look on their, on their faces. I mean, both of these franchises have been through a lot, and at that time, the Saints had been terrible forever. Uh, the Vikings have never had, seems like, luck really go their way. Uh, so it, it is. It's, it's about a close to a mirror image game uh, in a game that was set up 
uh, as this sort of, for at least for the fans, a redemption game based off something that happened eight years ago. Yeah. One more Twitter story here from Mick O'Brien. My seven-year-old became a football fan before my eyes last night and a Vikings fan to boot. So that was amazing to watch happen. He idly looked over my shoulder during games before, but never watched the full ebb and flow of a high-stakes game. So last night he felt his first football heartbreak and then experienced his first football miracle all in the space of five minutes. Super special for me as I flash back to my moment, watching the miracle at the Met with my dad. No, you have something in your eye. Thanks, Mick. Thank you, everyone, for the memories that you shared on Twitter. Um, everyone's got their own, and that's really cool. It's Locked on Vikings with Sage Rosenfels and Sam Ekstrom. Let's just hit on a couple superfluous points here before we end this show, because there's a, there's a lot more to talk about, but we can't really get to all of it. What do you think went wrong defensively in the second half? Drew Brees went wrong. I yeah. mean, that, that's that's what happened. Uh, he's just really, really good. We didn't get much of a pass rush. I think that was, you know, that's one of those things. You play enough man-to-man coverage, uh, and if, if guys, uh, and they have good wide receivers, they have one, extremely good wide receivers, uh, and, and I include running backs as a part of that wide receiver core uh, because their running backs are, I mean, Kamara is basically uh, a wide receiver slash running back he can really do anything so they have guys who can get open and if you have that no matter how good xavier rhodes is or or guys like Barr and kendrick's that can cover they will get open they just will the vikings didn't get a great pass rush uh in in this football game and bruise breeze if you give him enough time he will find somebody he's so extremely accurate there was so many balls that were fit into windows where he had about six inches uh, to put the ball, and he was there, you know, nearly every time. Um, and you know, they were doing a lot of things to get Vikings off of, uh, you know, the, the defenders off and uh, off the bump coverage. Xavier Rhodes is best when he can play bump coverage. He's not as good in off coverage. So what you saw is you saw tight formations, receivers, you know, three or four yards from the end of the line of scrimmage. You saw stack formations. Anytime uh, a team gets into a stack. Uh, you can't bump them both. So one guy will bump the first guy. The next guy has to play off. Sometimes they in and out that type of coverage. A lot of times they stay locked on man to man, but you're still now you know you're still off. So at that point, the first guy can clear out, and the next guy can either run it out. He can run it in. He can run off sorts of things based off of you know sort of the coverage and the leverage. So you know really good play designs by. Uh, by Sean Payton and and uh, and Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator, and by Breeze to you know what's going on. The thing is, the Vikings don't play a lot of coverages. There's not a lot of confusion going on. So the thing with Breeze is he sort of had full control uh, of where he was going with the football. He knew where he was going. Uh, you know that type of guy. He finds the matchups and he found him in that football game. And if you really look back at the first half where he threw two interceptions, one's a tip ball. They're probably going to score. Uh, at the minimum, a field goal, if not a touchdown on that drive. Mm-hmm. And the other interception uh, by Andrew Sandejo, uh, who was later knocked out in that game, was just a poorly thrown ball about three or four yards short to Ted Ginn, which you, know, you don't want to throw a ball short to Ted Ginn, one of the fastest guys in the NFL. So you know, after you know Breeze got off uh, over those couple, you know, I guess, mistakes, really one mistake, he was just impeccable in the second half, and he really did uh, find all the weaknesses in the Vikings defense, but I really do think it starts off, and you know, not with the coverage. I think the coverage was was pretty good, 
that there was a lack of pass rush in that football game, which I believe was a surprise because they were missing an offensive lineman or two going into that game. Uh, and the Saints did a fantastic job of protecting Breeze for most the, for the most part. And he's so good at getting the ball out quickly. They had a couple linebackers coming that lo- many quarterbacks would have just waved the white flag and Breeze got it out somehow for completions. And without looking at the, the stats, you might think, oh, the Saints must have been so good on third down in that second half. No, they weren't because they didn't even get to third down very often. They were getting more assertive in their first and second down play calls they only had four third down attempts in the second half. They finished the game two for nine on third down. So it's not like they were converting at a high rate. They were just doing really well in the early downs, and they were moving the ball for eight, for nine. They weren't even messing around with third down in that noise. Well, what were the rushing numbers? They have about 80 yards rushing. I know Breeze threw for almost 300 yards yep. passing. I mean, he really was spectacular. I mean, he was. He was absolutely spectacular. Uh, it, it's amazing. I think you know the quarterback position anymore. The way these guys you know can can really dedicate themselves to their craft, to their bodies. Uh, I saw Breeze after. It's amazing. We're the same age today, and, and I saw him getting dressed after the game, and he is ripped. And I'm sitting going like, man, I need to I need to get back into the gym. Uh, the, you know the, these guys can play forever, and and when you can play for that long uh, at that position, and you've now you've gained all this knowledge. Uh, over the years of how to attack every type of coverage that you ever can imagine. It's a huge advantage for an offense. Yeah, you asked about the rushing numbers. Minnesota actually outrushed the Saints, and it didn't feel like it because it felt like Kamara was just battering them in the second half, and a lot of that was through the air. Kamara had 62 through the air, 43 on the ground. They held Kamara to 3.9 per carry, which is pretty good. Vikings outrushed them 95 to 80. But Breeze in the second half, I think, had 177 and three touchdowns, no sacks. So, I mean, when a quarterback does that against you and you come out with a win, that's pretty special. Loudest environment you've ever experienced, or do you think the Superdome in 09 beat it? You know, it's hard to tell. You know, in the press box, I really didn't realize it's not nearly as loud in that press box. It's sort of sheltered in there. Obviously, the. Uh, you know, there's no fans in the press box and everyone's pretty quiet. I think they somehow, I'm not sure how they do it, but they somehow make it quieter. Uh, it seems like in the press box, the, the sound is, is dampened. Uh, you know, in the alumni box, I was in the alumni box for the vast majority of the game. Uh, I guess that would be like sort of the northeast end zone. Uh, it was extremely loud, and the Vikings fans were absolutely unbelievable. You know, that, that Saints game, that was just absolutely nuts. I When I, when I wrote that Sports Illustrated article, I described – Every play we had the ball, it was as if it was forced down. Uh, that's and I felt like that's for the most part in this football game. The Vikings fans match that. I mean, they were they were an impact in the game that you'd like to say, but you know I think Drew Brees uh, could could you know go out and throw for you know 300 yards and three touchdowns uh, if it was so loud that nobody could hear anything. I mean that guy said he's he's seen it all. He's done it all. He was absolutely spectacular spectacular yesterday. The Vikings extremely lucky to come out on top. Last one, uh, Vikings Eagles next week. I think any concerns really that you might have about the Vikings defense, I, I feel like you can sort of wipe the slate clean going into next week because you know why did the Vikings blow this lead yesterday? Special teams blunder. They had a blocked punt. They had a missed field goal. Case Keenum made a very poor throw for an interception, and that and that can't happen. But the punt, the field goal. You know, some of those things aren't necessarily going to happen every week. And then defensively speaking, Drew Brees adjusted at halftime clearly, and then he came out on fire in the second half. 
Do you think Nick Foles has the capacity to do that to the same extent Drew Brees did? I'm not convinced of that. So I don't think you're, you can expect the Eagles to go rip up the Vikings now because they've been exposed. I think Drew Brees is just very good. I think the Eagles are going to be a good test with their strong defense, good running game. But as far as the passing game is concerned, I would not expect Philadelphia to put up the same type of numbers. No, I, Foles is, you know, he's not going to do what, what Brees did to the Vikings. My biggest concern is that Philadelphia is going to watch this tape and they're going to see all these really good concepts uh, that uh, that Sean Payton and Breeze came up with to attack the Vikings' coverage. Then they'll start doing the same thing. So you know, we'll talk about that as the week goes on. But you know, when we get to that game on Sunday, you have to remember, what, what are some of the things that the, the Saints did very well against the Vikings? Uh, you know, those stack formations, uh, those tight formations. Uh, my, my guess is we will see the Philadelphia Eagles do a lot of those same things. Uh, they do more of those RPOs, those run pass options. Uh, you see that a lot. Uh, sort of a, You saw it for the touchdown. When, when Brees sort of had that fake sweep slant for a touchdown, that is sort of the Eagles offense. You, you can toss the sweep, uh, or if you like the slant, you think the window's going to be there, you can fake it uh, and throw the slant. And you'll see the Eagles do that on almost every passing play out of the shotgun. We both picked that Eagles upset, by the way. Good job, us. Pat ourselves on the back. Uh, Vikings-Eagles next Sunday, 540 Central Time, NFC title game. I think tomorrow I'll probably have a guest on the show. We'll do just some more Saints reaction. We'll, we'll continue to digest this game. Wednesday, we'll probably start turning the page to the Eagles with Sage Rosenfels. It's been quite a day, quite a 24 hours. We'll just keep riding this wave, Sage. I know you've got a lot of radio spots today. We'll look for your story at thescore.com. Yes, and we all expected that the championship games when the season started would be Tom Brady, right? Yep. We all expected Blake Bortles, we all expected Nick Foles, and we all expected Case Keenum to be the quarterbacks of these four teams. <laughs> that we did. <laughs> NFL is a funny game. I can't wait to see what happens next, Sage. Great show, a show that I'll never forget. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep, he's on Twitter, at Sage Rosenfels18. I'm at Sam Ekstrom. My work at zonecoverage.com, sage at thescore.com, theathletic.com, and Bernie the Bernadoodle is excited as well. Thanks so, <laughs> thanks so much for listening today to Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. There's no room, no space to rent in this town.